Hello and welcome to the Landmark Theatres Film Club podcast. Today we'll hear actor-director Kenneth Branagh discuss his new Shakespeare film, All is True, with moderator Scott Mance. This conversation was recorded on the film's opening night at the Landmark in Los Angeles. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Scott Mance. What did you think of All is True? So our, our, our guest tonight is a five-time Oscar nominee with nominations, I have to add, in acting, in writing, and in directing. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor and privilege to introduce to you tonight's actor and director of All Is True, Kenneth Branagh. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sit down, sit down, go on, thank you. You're very, very kind, thank you. And thank you very much for coming out to see this on, on day one, I really appreciate it, thanks so much. Well, well, we are the ones who appreciate this movie. It is so, it is so exquisite and so beautiful, so, so beautifully acted and, and shot and the, the score is wonderful, but the script, the script is the thing. Mm. And the first time you read Ben Elton's screenplay, like what went through your mind? Uh, well, we, we'd had this, uh, we had this conversation where I pitched him the idea of, this, uh, this, this, of writing something. He's a great comic writer, and we've known each other over 30 years. We met at a production of a Shakespeare play of, 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 of Much Ado About Nothing, directed by Judy Dench. And we met backstage, and he's, he accused me of having made up some of the lines. And I, said, I said, well, no, I haven't. That, that is Judy Dench's direction, which is very naturalistic and real, and Shakespeare's prose, which is very conversational and, and, uh, and, and also naturalistic. So we started a, a decades conversation about this subject. He then produced an amazing and funny sitcom called Upstart Crow, which he asked me to be in. And then we had this conversation about whether he would be interested in writing a drama about this period in Shakespeare's life when he, when the Globe Theatre burnt down, and he um, returns home uh, and and faces up to what happens if you're an absentee um, husband and father for 20 years. And um, to answer your question, what I, what I was thrilled by was the sort of um, the humane and human and humorous uh, side to uh, the the character and to, and to that world, because our goal was to sort of uh, Find, uh, find the human, uh, not the genius. And what was the challenge of that? I mean, it's not like William Shakespeare. There's there's video of him. I mean, it's obviously there's not. Um, but like, was it sort of easier to sort of humanize him to show show this 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 genius as a human being to humanize him and to show him like in the throes of a of a midlife crisis and so on. Well, th this idea of wh what do you do if he's had 20 years as the most famous poet of the age, he's written or co-authored 37 plays of his own, he's produced and directed and acted um, in all the plays of his contemporaries at his own Globe Theatre, and then traumatically it burns down. He, 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 he goes back home, it's, it's, he didn't need to, he could have stayed in London, so he goes back home, and we thought that this, this key element of, of the why 
uh, was was partly bound up in the death of his son, in the death of Hamnet in 1596 when, when Hamnet was uh, 11 years old. And Judy Dench and I had both appeared in a production of Shakespeare's late play, The Winter's Tale, which was written not long before the period of this uh, film, in which the preoccupation with the lost child is, is so... Um, beautifully and painfully drawn. And there's also a dynamic in there between Paulina, one of Shakespeare's fiercest and finest female characters, beautifully played by Judy, that Ben saw uh, as, as she, in that play, forces Leontes, a man who makes a tragic mistake that results in the death of a child. Um, uh, he saw that, I think, as, as a kind of, uh, as a starting point for a, a pretty you know, sort of uh, edgy relationship between a woman who up to that point had not been given a voice. She cannot read, cannot write, but clearly has a great deal that she wishes to be heard about. And so The Winter's Tale was a big inspiration for, for uh, 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 at least surmising, guessing, speculating as he, as he is concerned about it in all sorts of plays, the separation of twins and the problems between fathers and daughters, uh, concerned about this, 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 this aching loss, being haunted, haunted by the death of your, of your child and what that does to him and what it does to their entire family. So this year, uh, 2019, marks the 30th anniversary of Henry V, for which you were nominated for Best Director. Thank you, thank you. In that time, including Henry V, you have directed six films based on the works of the Bard. So did you see this uh, all as true in any way as sort of uh, playing the Bard, being like the culmination of these last, just theatrical 30 years of, of your work? Well, it was certainly, <laughs> excuse me, it was a very natural um, development of all sorts of things. I mean, for instance, it's, it's over 30 years of working with Judy Dench. She, she was in uh, Henry V. Uh, the Patrick Doyle wrote the score for both of these things and many films in between. Yes, and he's a, he's a great, uh, great maestro, Patrick, and a dear, dear, dear friend. Um, I, I suppose it, it's, it's, a, it's, a very, it's very personal, very personal film in the sense that, um, you know, when I... Uh, prior to that film, I, I, I hitchhiked to Stratford-upon-Avon when I was 17 years old, and I discovered making this film that Ian McKellen had done exactly the same thing, <laughs> but, but 25 years earlier. And we'd, and we'd pitched our tents in exactly the same field uh, outside Stratford, um, and we'd walked into Stratford, and we'd queued to for tickets for the theatre to see the plays and to go around and see some of these, these houses and, and find out where the man lived and, and try and sort of join the dots. And we both felt that it was a personal thing. And I think it is for many people, perhaps each individual has a different relationship to Shakespeare or to the art, the, the music, or whatever it is that might, as it were, move them. Uh, he did with us. And, and so the, the, the journey towards finding out what kind of a, a man he was has been a, a, a lifetime of, of uh, that sort of exploration. And because I've always, I've always been aware that for some people he's completely resistible and uh, they're, they're bored by Shakespeare and that, you know, it's like watching paint dry to see one of his plays. But I maintain that when done well, which isn't necessarily all the time, I've been responsible for a few that haven't done, been done very well, um, <laughs> that, but when done well, it's real and thrilling and consoling and, and, and entertaining and makes you laugh and cry and think. And uh, so that, that desire to share that enthusiasm and the belief that at least that that is possible uh, with this man's work uh, has led me all the way here to thinking, well, if you don't like the plays or, you ha or, or on your way to the plays, you might be interested to know who, who the man is. Well, here's a version 
of who the man might be based on the facts that we, we know, those scandals involving the girls, the death of Hamnet, the, the purchase of the coat of arms, etc. And then the, the gaps are filled in by what we notice in plays like The Winter's Tale. But you talk about people having such a deep personal relationship with the works of Shakespeare. Obviously, you are you are up there. Uh, but in terms of your your research for playing him, like what were some of the things, more, some of the more recent things that you yourself discovered that you didn't even know before? Well, I, I mean, I was very interested to know that he he did want to purchase that coat of arms. It cost him twenty pounds. It's about five thousand yeah. dollars today. And you might have thought twenty years at the top of your craft as the most celebrated poet of the age that it didn't really matter whether as a result of owning that that people would call you gentlemen but but it did seem to matter to him his own father was ruined in Stratford um, as you could see there and I think we're not exaggerating it was a it was a town very litigious society people snitched on people um, uh, they, they, it was very gossipy and his own father was ruined um, bankrupted he'd been mayor of Stratford but was um, uh, somebody reported him to the council for uh, keeping his manure too close to the house. Um, it was that kind of a place, and um, and his father, uh, uh, his father, I think, suffered this great indignity. I think Shakespeare felt it, and I think he felt, uh, you know, the uh, unusually a sort of a, 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 a whatever you call it, insecurity, vulnerability, a desire to, you know, assert a sense of his own. Um, position that, that would, to me was a was a, a genuine sort of surprise. You know, in you're you're when you're making a film based on Shakespeare, and then you are playing Shakespeare in a, in an original screenplay. You know, there there's there's got to be a sort of uh, uh, bar to that you have to hit because you are you have to the screenplay has to be on par with the things that Shakespeare wrote. Mm -hmm. So how did you and Ben? meet those expectations well well it was it was it was trying to find a, a structure that would be that would that people could recognize and I think people can perhaps understand that the, the essential human dynamic that that meant that um, when he goes back home uh, we believe that he probably went back to Stratford at least once a year maybe it was more than that when he was in London but anyway it was it was not often so that sort of gap in in the life of the the maintenance of the family life is is something I think people can you know maybe identify with. And to, to answer your question, I think maybe we didn't strain so much to try and be Shakespearean, but to be human and say, well, what would what it, what would it be like around that dinner table if um, if all of that absence has happened, if all of those gaps have been filled, if if uh, as Anne Hathaway might be, you are you know, wounded or potentially humiliated by the idea that gossip about poems that you have written, possibly dedicated and for other men or women, um, have been have been you know out there in the world. That there's a there's a sort of um, there's a, a fuse that is lit at the beginning of that that reminded me of. Well, frankly, it reminded me of, say, a play like King Lear, where at the beginning of the play, what appears to be a relatively straightforward action, King says, I'm giving up the job, you three daughters, I'm going to divide it between the three of you, all you have to do is tell me how much you love me. Um, and, and number one and number two say all the right things, and the third one says, well, I'm, I'm not going to tell you I love you. It's ridiculous. It's a stupid thing to ask. I paraphrase, obviously. Um, but um, she doesn't quite say it like that. But, um, 
but as a result, you know, he loses his rag, and you know, and, and it reminds me of one of those, um, you know, Christmas conversations, or maybe there are Thanksgiving moments you've had where, um, you know, somebody spills the cranberry sauce or something, and it goes nuclear, and you think, well, it's not about the cranberry sauce, is it? It's about it's about 15 years ago when, you know, you wore that thing and you didn't tell me, and then you didn't say thank you, and when I did the thing, and there's all these subterranean kind of Titanic passions that come up and you think I thought we were just having dinner um, um, and uh, so we thought that that's human uh, Shakespeare writes about it but we didn't need to go high flown we didn't need to try and write Shakespearean poetry what we needed to do was try and find as he did that connection to things that we uh, understand so that's where that's where we started coming full circle after all these years with Judy Dench uh, who is fantastic in this movie, right? Uh, this, is it like a shorthand, or in what ways did working with, you, work with her on this film surprise you? Uh, well, she's highly unusual. So, for instance, uh, <laughs> we, um, we, uh, we, are, we, are, we asked her to be in it. I couldn't think of anybody else to, to play the part. Didn't want anybody else. I asked her. She was unavailable. So for about a month, I thought, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. We thought about other people. But I thought, you know, I don't want to make the film if she's not available. So I was about to not make the film. And, um, and so we made one more call just in case. And it turned out that the project she'd been committed to doing had, had uh, collapsed. So I said, all oh, right, okay, so can I call, I said, can I call, I'll call her agent and ask if I can go down to the country where she lives, outside London, can I visit Judy tonight, can I just picture this story for this character in this film, uh, can you ask if she would mind if, if, if I did that? And 10 minutes later, the agent rings back and says, Judy says, absolutely not, you're not going down to visit her tonight in the country, you're not gonna waste your petrol money, the answer is yes. <laughs> I said, but she doesn't even know. She doesn't even know what it is. She said, it's a yes. So th that's the unusual that you start with with her. Um, but of course, she, uh, she used to live in a cottage opposite Shalcott House, which is where Sir Thomas Lucy, our sort of would-be villain in this movie, lived. She and her uh, late husband, Michael Williams, wonderful actor, used to refer to Shakespeare as the man who paid the rent because they did season after season after season at the Royal Shakespeare Company. She, I mean, she walked all of these streets. She, she'd visited Anne Hathaway's cottage, uh, you know, a hundred times. She, the, the Shakespeare's in her bones. And um, she was very proprietorial and, and felt very personally about this uh, desire to let, uh, let Anne Hathaway have a, have a um, you know, have a voice. And, and she's just, you know, a few people raised their eyebrows. Anne Hathaway was eight years older than Shakespeare. They married when he was 18, she was pregnant, and, uh, and, uh, and Judy is a bit older than that in relation to me, but, um, uh, and a few people got a bit humpy about that, and ooh, that's a bit different. And uh, this got back to her in the form of a, of a friend of hers who said, oh, I hear you're in that, that uh, Shakespeare film with Ken. Uh, what are you playing, his mother? Uh, she said, to which you replied, fuck off, I'm playing his wife. Um, but Very Judy. Yeah, I, I only swears once in a while, by the way. Forgi <laughs> forgive me for snitching on her there. I, I, I want to ask about, about filming the scene with you and Sir Ian McKellen. <laughs> it is like you're watching, watching the scene going, holy moly, this is a master class right here. It was beautifully written, so superbly acted. Uh, how did you like, nail that, crush it? Well, you're very kind, and thank you very much. The, it, it starts with uh, uh, Ben Elton, who came up with, I thought, uh, this very, very arresting idea 
William Shakespeare dedicated his sonnets um, and his narrative poem, uh, Venus and Adonis, to the Earl of Southampton. The dedication is very extravagant. It's much more you know, fulsome than even the standards of the day where artists would, as it were, suck up to the rich and famous because they needed to be patronized and supported and it was, uh, it was practiced to do so. But Shakespeare's is, seems to go a little further and the, um, that, that the personal quality in the poems themselves is very raw, very emotional, and it goes way beyond producing this uh, Petrarchan sonnet form, 14 lines of, of sort of um, ornate, uh, often very formal language, which is sometimes just an exercise in verbal beauty. The, the sonnets break through that. They're raw, passionate love poems, declarations of love to maybe a fair youth or maybe a dark lady. And Ben's, uh, Ben's idea was that with that, feeling of, of passion from Shakespeare, the idea that, that, as it were, the love that nearly was, the, the, the relationship you missed out on, that, that moment, whenever, your adolescence or early on, the person you nearly spent your life with, um, uh, as it were, passes you in life, but then returns, could be a sort of a hand grenade into this already tense situation uh, with, um, with uh, Anne Hathaway, and also, be for her and for Judith quite the thing to deal with, but an indignity, a humiliation, a complexity for sure, um, and, 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 for, and for Shakespeare, a bewildering kind of um, possibility for finding out who he is and finding out whether he wants to take this so-called last chance. So he declares himself, and the scene I think is beautiful because Ben lets Shakespeare perform this sonnet, not even perform it, I suppose, live through it as a way of saying perhaps I love you, only to have it returned to him as a sort of letdown, as a kind of uh, I love you but not in that way. And yet, and yet beyond that, there is a kind of code. He did know the sonnet off by heart, Southampton, didn't he? So maybe in some weird way it was their song, but it was not to be. And, and he also makes the sort of brutal truth of having Southampton say, it can never be because you're a peasant. Um, and and, and the, the social class won't allow this to happen. And so it's, it's wonderfully complex. It has a wonderful romance to it. And then immediately, you're thrown back into Shakespeare being amongst a wife and daughter who do not necessarily understand any of the things that I've just said or sympathize with any of them. Yeah, It's yeah. an outrage. It's, uh, it's uh, such duality. and and. You know, you, you brought up the the score, uh, which is which is absolutely beautiful, and then just uh, you know working, you know, collaborating on the score. Was it just like a, because you worked together before so many times, like like a like oh yeah, that sounds great, thanks. <laughs> you know? Well, with, with Patrick, he he, uh, I trust more and more his instinct. We do say less, I suppose, and um, so we've been. Yeah, the, I, I, the, the, we kept using the word sort of gossamer. The music needed to be gossamer, and 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 and, and the film was going to be meditative, ruminative, so that it, the score should have a sort of quality of of, of breathing. It, it needn't be fully present. It needed to respond not just to Shakespeare and the drama, but also to this other thing that we were trying to offer up, which is to let the audience understand that Shakespeare himself was trying 
bewildered as he is almost at the beginning of the play, he's the film, he's come from London and from the theatre and from the, the life of the theatre and the noise of the theatre to the country, to the quiet, to the, to the... I mean, imagine what it was like back then. No ambient light, no ambient sound. It would have felt like going, you know, to the moon, back to the... But, but, but somewhere very, very unusual where you are faced with, you know, your smallness in big nature. And the music needed to sort of respond to that as well because he was also trying to sort of find his place in the scheme of things. And all of this, I start talking about it now, and I find it difficult to sort of put it into words, that, and that was part of what we were trying to do, was say, let, with Patrick, is just respond with your gut to, you know, how he's feeling this experience of being at home and then needing to get outside into the earth, into the garden. Um, well, yeah. speaking of the light, speaking of the light, the cinematography, uh, uh, Zach, uh, Zach Nicholson, Nicholson yeah, Zach Nicholson. Yeah. Uh, working with Zach, I mean, it's it's poetic. I mean, really is. He did. Uh, he did. We well, did a wonderful job, and we just said, look, we're doing this film about a genius, and we should just look to other geniuses for all our inspiration. <laughs> so, uh, daytime is Vermeer. Thank you very much, and uh, ni and nighttime is Rembrandt. Could <laughs> could you do that, please? Um, and then and then uh, and when it comes to framing, could we also look at maybe the um, you know, the work of John Ford and Orson Welles and, 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 and just find a sort of language that way. But keep, keep, stick with the masters and try and stick with, um, you know, the sort of uh, a, a, a kind of classical, classical approach. Uh, I want to open up to the, to, to the audience, uh, but before I do, one, one question I've always wanted to ask you, uh, especially after now 30 years of, of, of bringing the bar to, to a generation through film that might not read, uh, you know, or go right to his works, um, and with the the films becoming more a ambitious and 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 deeper over the years, uh, like how did you fall in love with Shakespeare to begin with? Like, what was your your aha moment that you had? What, well, it was a double up that 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 is really takes me right to this film, which is this uh, paradox. So I'm 13 years old and I'm asked to stand up in an English class and I've been given for the first time a book that says The Merchant of Venice. I'd never heard of it. I didn't, and, and I was told to open it and start reading from it. So I did, and, but I really didn't understand anything at all about what was being said. Um, and it was really, uh, it was almost frightening at that time how, how dense it seemed. So I had that experience. This means nothing to me. It means nothing to me, and it's intimidating me. And actually, by the time I finish this, now I'm starting to feel stupid. Uh, so that's how much Shakespeare's doing for me. Um, that a few weeks later, it seemed, the same English teacher took us to see a, a live production of Romeo and Juliet. There was a thousand of us, thirteen-year-olds, um, and it was it was wild. I mean, absolutely wild atmosphere before. And then the play starts with a fight. There were sparks coming off the sword blades. We were all we didn't didn't think that was happening. And then suddenly, uh, at least from my point of view, Juliet walked on, and I was gone. You know, um, and so I always think that production hastened me through puberty, as it did. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, the other thousand kids who then responded. Uh, we didn't obviously 
least I can't remember understanding everything, but I knew that, you know, I was at school, there was, you know, there were gangs and there was violence and stuff, and, <laughs> and that was on the stage facing me, so that, I knew something about that, I, that and all of it meant something, and all of it was presented with a sort of the throb of, uh, of real sort of vitality and life, so, but I remember that both things existed. I'd had the moment where it absolutely baffled me, and I had the moment where it completely overwhelmed me and inspired me and lifted me. And I felt probably, you know what, I suspect other people may feel that a bit as well. And so, uh, so part of a crazy mission and crusade is to try and make sure that the latter happens more than the former uh, if you come to Shakespeare. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, who's got a question? You got a question. Ken, this is brilliant. Thank uh, you. Justin Timberlake brought sexy back. You bring classic relevance forward. Can you talk about the costumes, man? They are so cool. I can see NBA or NFL players wearing them. <laughs> okay, I just got to say, compare, uh, bringing up Justin Timberlake at a movie about Shakespeare... Did not good expect that, no, but good yes, on you about then. the costumes. Uh, he, I think Shakespeare would have loved that, by the way. Um, but uh, well, you know, we 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 always try and find. Uh, in this case, the costume designer of a man called Michael O'Connor, an Oscar winner for, in his case, a movie called The Duchess. Uh, I worked with him way back on Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, um, and uh, in which he put me in a million things uh, uh, to uh, to be put into Gilderoy Lockhart's biography, Magical Me. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I knew that he had, co had a combination of things, real period uh, knowledge and detail, which he brought to this. But we also talked always, actually a bit almost comic book style, about silhouettes, about particularly about the blacks that they, that they have here and the, and the kind of crispness of outlines, whether it's collars or whether it's amazing hats, some amazing hats in that show. Um, and so uh, we always blur the edges hoping that we have the essence of what it would have been like in 1613, but we're also aware of the, 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 the graphic power of those images in Zach Nicholson's frames, in which case we just jiggle it a bit. Uh, got time for, for one more question? Okay, it's yours. Mr. Bernard really liked the film. Just Thank a quick you. question. Um, when you've done Shakespeare as a director, whether it's Henry V, much Ado About Nothing, Macbeth, wh whichever one it was. Differentiating it between working on those films and the other films that you've worked on, which I also very much admire, is there a different approach for you doing that, if so? Um, well, the, the, the approach is sort of different, uh, in my experience, uh, per, per film. So to, to, um, to give, to actually to give an example, um, for this film, we didn't rehearse at all. We talked a lot beforehand, so I went and spent time with Ian McKellen ahead of that scene and explained how we were gonna do it. I said it would be two cameras working at once so we can capture any, any excitements or any flaws or mistakes we make. We're looking for a beautiful accidents as well as, as precision. And the same with, with Judy, we just talk about it. She doesn't like to rehearse, she just, and we didn't rehearse at all on set. We did a lot of frames where we, we, the camera didn't move much, so I would, I would set the shot up, light it, then ask the actors in, and then we just call action. Or in this case, nicking from Clint Eastwood, I even decided on this movie that I wouldn't even say turnover or action, or anybody would. We just sort of slip into it. It would just have started before you, before you realized. Uh, 
And as a sort of opposite example, just because it felt like that was what was required, when we did the movie of Thor for Marvel, <laughs> I remember, thank you very much, <laughs> thank you. Um, and we, we, we rehearsed a long time for that, a lot. And we, I remember like a year ahead of it, um, because I remember Natalie Portman was also doing her ballet training for uh, Black Swan. But we, I remember setting her homework uh, and giving her a biography of Ros Rosalind Franklin, who was one of the unsung heroes, uh, unsung female scientist who was part of uh, un un uh, identifying the, the DNA. And um, uh, just by way of a, a sort of inspiration for uh, a passionate female scientist under under underappreciated, but well of, of of brilliance. I remember making Hemsworth and Hiddleston improvise as brothers a year ahead of time, um, and creating some material to go back to Dom Payne, who did that crucial draft of the script, and then and then and then putting them together with Hopkins as well, and 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 doing improvisations, and also um, doing some. I remember doing some Shakespeare then in order to sort of sort of just really say, you know what, of course this is going to be a space adventure. We're going to be riding uh, horses across a rainbow bridge in, in the Nine Realms. We've all done it. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but we're really going to take the sort of dynastic stuff seriously. So I, I don't mean that others wouldn't who were making these films, but just that that would be a critical element. And in that case, as opposed to this, that felt like to do a lot of work on that. You'll never see it, but you'll feel it. And here... Don't don't do too much work because you want it to be to be sort of fractured and surprising. So I guess it's horses for courses. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just I know I speak for everyone in this room when I say that all is true, truly is a rose by any other name. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Ken everyone. Rana. Thank you, Scott. Thank, Thank you. you, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, folks.